Hey, welcome to uh, week uh, four. I think we're in week four. Week four of our series, Lead Like Jesus, um, which means we're kind of in week four. We're kind of in the middle of the TV show. You know, if you're a Netflix watcher, a Hulu binge watcher, we're in the middle of the show. We're in the middle of the movie, which is not a bad thing if you're coming in in the middle of the movie. Um, it, it can stand alone, but sometimes it's also better in context. And so if you want to catch up with the series, you can do so uh, by watching on our website or on our app. Uh, we have all the episodes of that there because um, we kind of build on each other. Um, but today, uh, what I want to start is asking you this question. What are the qualities of a great kid? What are the qualities of a great kid? I mean, think about that just for a minute. You know, if you, if you have a, a child in your family or maybe you have your own child or maybe at school or, or uh, you know, maybe your friends as kids or something, you know, what makes you just kind of step back and be like, wow, they are, they're such a great kid, just such a great kid. Anybody got anything? You can just yell it out. You can comment online. Anybody? All I caught was the end and something about don't argue, okay? I think, but that pretty much sums it up, okay? That's fair. Yep, anybody else got anything else? Respect, kindness, that's good, that's good. Anybody else? Curiosity, Curiosity. oh, that's good, yeah. Some of you are just nailing it right here. Well, at least what I thought of. I don't know if that means everything, but you know, it's something. Um, yeah, so th- those are good. Um, one of the, this is my list. This is not an you know, exhaustive list, just, just my list. Um, I said, listen, kind, honest, selfless. I mean, if you meet a selfless kid, you're like, wow, that's a great kid. A resourceful kid, you know, they can kind of figure it out on their own. You know, they don't necessarily start by asking you. They start by trying it out themselves and figuring it out and seeing where they kind of fall, stumble, picking themselves back up again. And, and you sit there and you're like, wow, that, that, th- those would be qualities of, of a great kid. And then the, the best part about the kid, you know, this is what makes them great, is they take these qualities and then they learn and they grow. They listen and they learn and they grow and they get better. And that to me, you know, it may take a matter of months, it may take a matter of years, but those are the kids who, who I think, you know, you kind of look back and you're like, wow, they're just, they're just fine people. They're just good people. And kids can do this in a way that, you know, adults can't because they can do it in such a short amount of time. I mean, you think infant, you know, what happens for an infant in a year, year and a half? I mean, they go from tiny and entirely dependent to walking, jabbering, and exploring the world in just a year and a half. I mean, it's really quite incredible. Or you think like an awkward and defiant middle schooler, you know, four years from then, they're going to be an awkward and defiant adult, you know? I mean, four years, a lot can, a lot can change. Some things may, maybe not. But kids are having to constantly and continually move up grades, right? They're continually being challenged and expected more of them. They're, therefore, they're constantly having to learn. They're dropping, you know, they're improving in sports. They're dropping some time off some of their athletics, getting better there, trying out new things, a better part in the theater program, something like that. Um, it's all about progress. It's all about getting better. And then if there's a child and that child isn't growing, then what do we all do collectively? If there's a child that, you know, isn't listening, is being unkind, is being selfish and irresponsible and, and very really dependent, what do we all do collectively as society, as parents and teachers and administrators and all the We do what? Yeah, we step in, we help out, we get involved, right? Because 
To us, it is not okay for someone younger than 18 to stay where they are. It is expected that you continue to grow. And so we step in and we teach them and we challenge them and expect more. It's not okay for us to abandon a kid who needs some help, who needs some guidance, who could be more than what they are. Now, this is where it gets fun. <clears throat> you know where this is gonna go. What are the qualities of a great adult? Hmm, could they be the same, right? Be a great adult if you listened, if you're kind, if you're honest, if you're selfless, if you're resourceful, and then you take all your life experiences and you listen and you learn and you grow because of them. I mean, let's be honest, right? They're they're kind of the same qualities. Except the difference is we don't expect adults to do any of that. In fact, we kind of expect or we go into a lot of situations, especially if they're new, and come on, be honest with yourself. You don't really expect people to listen, right? You don't expect people to necessarily grow. You hope they will. You want them to, but you know you're going to make a hire and it's not going to work out, you know? You know you're going to join that new company and your boss isn't going to listen to you and you don't know why, but they're just not going to listen. It's like when we hit 18, we like, we're, we're done with the, the kid phase, We don't all jump in and say, hey, we notice you're stuck. We notice you're not progressing. Could we help? What's going on? Walk us through this. I mean, in extreme cases, we will, right? In extreme, you know, overdose situations or addiction situations or neglect situations, then we'll step in. But up until that point, you know, boom, 18, the magic number somewhere in there. We're like, you got it all on your own. Good luck. See you later. You know, we kind of expect you to be a perfect parent, a a perfect employee, spouse, friend, coworker, a perfect leader even, that you're kind of free from the same rigors of growth that you were expected of as a kid. And you've seen that. And and in those moments, what do you do? You sit back and you think to yourself or you say to yourself something along the lines of, I don't think they're ever gonna change. Anybody ever said that? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know, just don't nudge your spouse. You know, you've sat there and said, it's the same old story. Same old conversation. We're just beating a dead horse here, right? We're stuck just the way things are, or my, the classic, my favorite. <sighs> you know, that's how we respond to the people who aren't changing, aren't growing. The ones we expect to just generally approach us as a little unkind, to tell half-truths, to focus on me versus we, a little selfish. We expect that. Sometimes even we expect that from ourselves, Right? I mean, we sit there and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, gosh, why do you keep doing that over and over again? Why are you stuck? Why are you falling into the same traps over and over again? And Stephanie and I, my wife and I, we have this conversation all the time. And, and it goes something like, Taylor, I don't get why they're doing this. I don't get why this is happening again. And I just, and then she lays out this compelling argument for why this shouldn't be the way that it is. And then I just sit there and I said, you know what the biggest problem here is, Stephanie? You're using your brain. You're using your reason. You're using your logic. And if you stop that, it makes complete sense. But if you look at it and you say, this doesn't make any sense up here, it's, it's, it isn't. It doesn't make sense. And it's frustrating, right? We got, you got to just stop using your reasoning and then, then it won't be frustrating to you, okay? Because you're right. It doesn't make any sense. So what do we do? What do we do with that? Because the truth is, it's not just us. Jesus got frustrated with these moments as well. And when he did it, uh, when the, these moments happened to him, he came off as angry and frustrated. 
the same moments 2,000 years ago that humanity has problems with now were the moments where Jesus got frustrated then. And do you think he ever got, let me say that question differently. Do you think he got most frustrated with adults or with kids? Adults, yeah. For what? Not listening, (laughs) not learning, not growing over and over and over again. There's this moment where Jesus uh, is with his disciples and it's kind of in the front half of his ministry. And he says, um, he said to them, uh, to this 12 closest followers, he said, you guys are gonna go out now, okay? You're gonna do your own ministry on your own without me there. Because he said, you know what? I've given you, like we talked about in week one, I've given you power and it's the power to help others. Talked about that in week one. He said, and he already shared a vision of what the future could be, of what he was trying to accomplish here through his ministry. We talked about um, casting and sharing a vision and inviting people into it in week two. And in week, last week, we talked about inve- uh, engaging and developing other people. And he had been engaging and developing them and answering their questions and teaching and all that because he was pouring into them. And then at the start of Luke chapter nine, um, Luke documents how Jesus said, okay, now I've done all this stuff. Now you all are gonna go out and do it on your own, which is a phenomenal leadership approach to say, I'm empowering you to go and do this, to go out and perform great signs and great miracles on my behalf. And so he sends them out. And what happens? What comes back? What's Jesus's return on that investment in these 12 followers? An angry father. An angry father comes back to Jesus and says, your disciples failed. Your disciples did not help my son. I'm frustrated. Can you make right what they couldn't? Could you fix this? This was the giant, for Jesus, that doesn't make sense moment. This is the giant frustration moment that sometimes Steph and I have that I'm sure you all have, that logic dictates this shouldn't have happened this way, yet here we are again. Why, oh, why doesn't this happen? And so then Jesus responds in somewhat of an angry um, way because that's, that's the point in which Jesus responded in a bit of an angry way. So if we skip forward to Luke chapter nine, verse 41, he said, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Now we look at perverse, and this is one of those words that they should probably change as biblical translators, but some, you know, our vernacular, our, our verbs, uh, words change so often it's difficult to keep up with. We look at perverse and we think, you know, maybe more sexual, um, wrong. Um, that's not what Jesus meant here. The word perverse in Greek, in the original language of this verse in ancient Greek, uh, was to turn. So essentially what he was saying is crooked. You, you unbelieving in crooked or you unbelieving in people uh, taking the wrong path. That's essentially the feeling he's trying to get a generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay? And has anybody ever said this before? Put up with you. I'm so tired of putting up with you. You probably whisper it under your breath so it's not, you know, that audible, you know, or you think it in your mind and in your heart. That's what he says to the disciples. And he turns to the dad, he says, bring your son here. And Jesus heals the boy. But why was Jesus frustrated? Because his disciples weren't listening. They weren't learning. They weren't growing. They just weren't getting it. They were letting it go in one ear and out the other. And in so doing, they missed an amazing opportunity. 
So Jesus heals the boy, and then everybody around, they were all, Luke said, they were all amazed at the greatness of God that was before them, the disciples and all the people, the crowd that were around, including the father. They're just all sitting there in this moment of, wow, that was crazy. That was incredible. And Jesus is looking at his disciples at this point, and they're all over here like, you know, and they're like, you know, we're with that guy. You know, you see what he did? We're with him. We've been following. We're his closest followers. You know, they're starting to get all, you know, prideful and a little arrogant. They were becoming adults. That's <laughs> what they were doing. And, and Jesus, seeing that, was going to give them a little bit of a reality check. A little bit of, hey, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. What we're doing here, this ministry that we're doing here, is not just about making you all look good. It's about helping others. It's about serving others. And so while, Luke goes on, while everyone was marveling at all Jesus had did, he said to his disciples, turn up, guys, guys, listen. Listen carefully. Not just listen, but listen carefully, right? This is the teacher telling you for the third time to pay attention. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The son of man, that's me, Jesus, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Essentially, this is his way of saying, things are not going to go well. I'm going to be turned over to the people who don't want me to do what I'm doing. The people who hate and despise me. That is eventually how this is going to go. So you feel good now, but I'm just trying to prepare you for what's to come. And do you think those wonderful adults wanted to hear this? No, of course not. This is a good moment. Everybody's like, oh my gosh. And they don't want bad news in the middle of this. They don't, they don't want to be told the truth of what's going to happen, that Jesus is going to be handed over to the bad guys. So what did Luke say? But they did not understand. Do you think they wanted to understand? They didn't understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. So they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him any follow-up questions. They didn't. They could have, but they chose not to. It was as if they were blind. It was as if they chose consciously to, to hide this reality from them because they didn't want to engage with it. They didn't want their perspective on the world to change because in that moment, the perspective was pretty good. But what does a good child do in class at a moment which they don't understand? ask the question. They ask a question, right? And what do adults do? This is what I think, what happens next, this is what I think is so funny. And it almost feels like Luke's making it up, but he's not making this up. Here's what adults do at this moment. They start an argument among themselves, among the disciples, among the adults, as to which of them is the greatest. And I thought at first, I was like, this is kind of a strange transition. But the more I thought about it, it's not a strange transition at all. Because you know what happened. What, what happens when the teacher does, does anybody have any questions? Well, nobody wants to ask any questions. Nobody wants to act like they don't know what's going on. And so I bet the disciples looked at each other and was like, you know what he means? Of course I know what he means. I'm like one of the best disciples. 
I actually have been following him longer. I think I'm one of the best disciples. And Peter in the back's like, you know what? I spend more time with Jesus. I'm one of the best disciples. And so they start arguing it over it. You know, like I know what Jesus means. None of them know what Jesus means, but they all start arguing like they're the better of all the disciples, right? And then it gets to the point where Jesus is like, stop it, stop it. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child. The adults are arguing, took a child. And had him stand beside him. And he said to his disciples, disciples, pay attention, disciples. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whomever welcomes me welcomes the one whom sent me, God. For it is the one who is least among all who is the greatest. Greatest. Y'all arguing about who's the greatest. This is the greatest. And Jesus is trying to make so many points here, but the one point that I want to focus on right now is how do you measure greatness? Well, as adults, we measure it in, you know, how confident are you? How successful financially are you? How successful in business are you? Kind of measure it by who's kind of the most prideful and strongest, and, you know, you just kind of puff out your chest with everybody in the room, and you try to, you know, you try to feel like something, you try to look like something, like you got it going on. You try to exhibit the qualities that keep you from the qualities of a child. Listening and learning, growing, being humble. Humble kids are not afraid to ask questions. Because to ask a question means that you don't know the answer, right? And adults wanna be great. They don't want to appear like the one who doesn't know. Humble kids ask questions. In fact, they ask the question over and over and over and over again. Why, 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 why? There's just no pride. There's no pride. Have you ever noticed that? There's no arrogance in that. It's just a pure, humble desire to understand, to want to be better. It's a hunger, a deep abiding hunger to to grasp the world around them. I see it in our kids, their eyes just watching, laser focused on what we're doing to understand better how they should live their life. And they're learning. It's way past bedtime. And what does Elia do every time? Stephanie could tell you this too. One more question. One more question. Hey, daddy, you know, could we find this doll's arm because it broke off? I mean, it's a Polly Pocket arm. You know, could we find this and could we glue this later and and fix it? I'm like, that's probably in the vacuum. But, you know, I don't know. Yes, we sure can. Daddy, how come the water comes out of the water bottle like this when I suck on it? I'm like, there's like physics involved. I don't, but, you know, I mean, you know, like, and why why does mommy say this? Why do you do this? What are you going to do tomorrow? I mean, it's just amazing the amount of questions all in humility, no pride. And the truth is, to God, we are all children. That's why he calls those who follow him his children. Because to God, we're all learning. Now, to each other, we act like we got it all going on. But to God, he's like, you don't have it all going on. You're learning. And you'll spend your entire life learning if you want to. So what's the solution? Now, this is going to feel weird to you, but here's my solution to this problem that we often have. This is one solution of many, but this is the one. 
that I wanna talk about today. To think of ourselves as leaders. To think of ourselves as leaders because leaders are humble and hungry to learn. The best leaders are those who go into a situation, especially a conflict, especially a difficult situation, and go into it with humility and a hunger to understand and learn. They're open to hearing and processing. Great leaders are like children. Great leaders are like children. They take what they've learned then and grow. Great leaders are humble and hungry to learn. And then they take what they've learned and they reinvent continuously. They reinvent continuously. And you're like, well, that's kind of a strange word. Why, why reinvent? Why not, you know, why not just grow? Why do leaders have to reinvent? Because is it not true that a lot of life is reinventing new solutions to new problems? Just like kids do. I don't know why I smell like this. What should I do about it? Solution, deodorant, showers, figure it out. And adults, for some reason, we get to adult age and we forget the same principle applies, deodorant and shower. No, I'm just, but there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other situations too, right? Where we, we don't go into it with humility and a hunger to learn like children had to learn and adjust and grow and come up with new solutions because come on, the problems you have now were not the problems you had when you were 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 and on. They're new problems, new challenges, and you have to reinvent solutions. Some people try to live the same way throughout all of their life and it just doesn't work. That's why we have a, a word we call immaturity. For some reason, we just stop. Not in all areas of our life, but in some areas we just stop and act like we don't need to continue to learn and have new perspectives and leave the old behind and move towards something new, just like a child has to do. To say, hey, this relationship that I'm in, it's, it's not working. So am I gonna avoid it and walk away from it? Or am I gonna try to come up with some new solutions? What do adults do sometimes? Would you tell, if, you, if an adult came to you and said, you know, how do I handle this relationship? Is that the same advice you would give to a kid in elementary school? Oh, just, just walk away. Just go find a new relationship. No, no, just go find another new relationship. Just go find another new relationship. Is that the same advice you'd give them? No, you'd say, hey, have you talked about this? Have you talked about that? Have you asked this question? Have you engaged in this way? So why is it we give kids different advice than we're willing to take ourselves? Pride, maybe? Maybe to look at this new opportunity, to look at this new process and say, what am I doing wrong and what could I do better? Children of God do that though. They look at it and say, this is not great. Not happy with where I am. I wasn't expecting to be in this place in my life. I didn't ask for this place in my life, but I'm gonna work through it. I'm gonna grow because I'm humble and hungry to do so. How would this story, think about this, how would this story would have looked if at the point the disciples realized they weren't doing a good job when Jesus sent them out, at the very beginning of the story, Jesus sent them out and it wasn't going well. 
what would have happened if they would have come back and said, hey, Jesus, we were doing really good and then we kind of got sidetracked and it's not going well. Could you, you know, could you refresh us? Could you help us navigate? Do you think the story would have gone differently? Yeah. It wouldn't have ended with an angry father coming up to Jesus and saying, your disciples dropped the ball completely. They wouldn't have been hurt by that. If the, if the, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, we didn't understand, could you clarify Jesus, I'm so hungry, I just want to understand it. Tell it to me again. Show it to me again. I don't want to miss it this time. And that boy's father wouldn't have had to step in and fix the disciples' problems. If the disciples would have kept pride from their hearts and would have reinvented how they looked at the world, as they followed Jesus, but that was constantly their problem. Jesus was trying to bring the world into the focus in which God meant it to be seen, and the disciples resisted. Jesus wasn't trying to reinvent something new. He was trying to show them how it was the whole time. Their problem is they needed to reinvent themselves to be a part of this new world that God was ushering in, this new kingdom, this new way of life, this new value system, But pride kept getting in the way. Fear kept getting in the way. And it kept them from growing and transforming because of it. Because the world's gonna change. People are gonna change. But Jesus followers, Jesus followers reinvent continuously. Jesus followers are humble and hungry to learn. And so here's my advice. And again, it feels weird, but here's my solution to this, is to become a leader. If you want to do this, you got to become a leader. Because you know, you know that some of the best leaders in your life over the course of your life are leaders who in their past and probably their present were humble and hungry to learn. They were constantly reinventing themselves, constantly trying to get better. Not because of where they were was terrible, but because of where they could be was so much better. And so they reinvented. But I think part of the reason we're not motivated to do this is because we don't see ourselves as leaders and so we kind of excuse ourselves out. We say, ah, I'm I'm not leadership material, so I don't need to do this. But you are, as we've said every single week in the series, if you have influence into other people's lives, if something you say or do can change the behaviors of others, you are a leader. You are leading them because they're changing what they do because of you. They're changing what they do because of you. And so instead of avoiding the fact and saying you're not a leader, step into the fact that you are. And step into the responsibility that comes from that. Like being humble and hungry and changing and growing, not for change's sake, but but because that's what leaders do. That's what Jesus expected that's, that's all of God's story. If you read the Bible from start to finish, it's like, hey, first three, pages, first three chapters, first two chapters rather, excuse me, this is good. And then the rest of the story is God trying to help all of us to get back to good. And you're not gonna get there if you're not willing to be humble and hungry to learn, to see a different perspective and to follow Jesus. Another thing that you can do, be humble and hungry, is to make Jesus the leader of your life. Make Jesus the leader of your life. And I get it, if it's your first time back in church in a long time, you're still trying to figure that faith thing out, this could be intimidating. I get it. 
But, but sometimes we overcomplicate this. Sometimes we take our assumptions of what stereotypical Christians are and all this stuff, and we assume that that's what Jesus is versus saying, Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life, and I'm going to follow, and I'm going to learn on the way. Jesus didn't have a class and an orientation and say, hey, here's how you follow me. No, no, no. He said, follow me, and I'll show you what it means to follow me. Every time, that's how he did it. And so if you make Jesus the leader of your life, it will, by necessity of following Jesus well, humble your heart. It will invite you to listen and to grow and to learn. It will help you to become better at life. Become better in here and in here because that's what love does and God loves you that much. Or if you'd have the courage or the faith to do this, I'd invite you to pray. Pray to be a humble leader. Pray to be humble and hungry to learn. And this, my friends, this is a very dangerous prayer. Because I doubt, think about this, there's been many points in your life where you've asked someone or God to humble you. Is that fair? This is dangerous because it requires us to change on a deep level. But sometimes that's what we need. In fact, actually, a lot of times that's what we need. We need the creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega, to come into our hearts and humble it, for us to realize why we're children. Because we are, we are incredible people, but we are also terrible people at the same time. In one service, we can talk about all the good things that are happening in our community and around the world. At the same time, we can look at the terrible atrocities around the world. So at which point do we decide, you know what, we're not that good after all. We, we may even sin sometimes and we maybe need some help sometimes. So Lord, would you humble my heart? Help me then to be hungry to learn and to receive that because you can't listen if pride is blocking your ears. And then after you do that, you'll be able to grow and change and be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart and what God wants to do in your life. You'll be able to learn from experiences and challenges and not be afraid and, and block your ears so you don't hear and see things, but to come up with new solutions and new ways to handle them. And you are capable of this because you are all leaders. God, from the very beginning, gave you a responsibility over this earth over this world, each and every one of you. And you can run from it or you can engage with it. You can either block out your ears or you can listen to that truth and take it seriously and pursue that. Pursue becoming a leader like Jesus. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, simply humble our hearts. Humble our hearts. Lord, help us to Come to the place where we understand that we don't have it all together. I mean, there are moments when we have it all together. There are good moments. There are minute moments when we're kind of like the disciples standing next to Jesus and everybody's clapping and in awe and it's really awesome. And in those moments, we feel great. But boy, are there so many other moments where we doubt. So many other moments where we question our worth. So many other moments 
when we stumble and we fall and we give in to the things we know are ultimately hurting us, distracting us from the things that really matter. Lord, help us to remove our ego and to be humble, to realize we're kind of a roller coaster sometimes. And that doesn't make us less valuable to you, but it's just the way it is. And as leaders, we're gonna accept that. We're gonna grow. We're gonna learn. We're gonna be hungry to do that so that we can be reinvented inside and out into who you created us to be. The creation that you said from the beginning was good. And the creation that you have worked so hard for so many thousands of years to invite back into that goodness, to not be afraid, to not close our eyes and our ears off to truth and to grace, but to engage with it because that's what good leaders do. That's what leaders who follow your son do because that's what your son did. Even in the painful moments of his life, he looked to you and said, your will, Lord, not mine. What you want, Lord, not mine. A point of tremendous humility strength and leadership. Lord, help us to lead like that. In your name I pray. Amen.